Because it's really easy to look at a resume and to look at what the person has accomplished, but I want to understand how they operate. How do they work with other people? You know, are they collaborative? Like what's their decision-making style? And I can get some of that out of talking with them, but you can get so much more when you talk to people who've worked with them in the past. And that, that mistake, that failure that I shared with you, that was very early on in my investing journey. So it's really informed, you know, the way that I approach investments now. Fran Hauser is an author, keynote speaker, and startup investor at the intersection of women's empowerment, career fulfillment, and collective well-being. As a longtime media executive, Fran has always championed the power of content in shaping culture, educating the public, and driving awareness of important issues. She is the best-selling author of The Myth of the Nice Girl, Achieving a Career You Love Without Becoming a Person You Hate. Fran's new book, Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, is quickly becoming the go-to for women seeking more joy and fulfillment in their career. Fran regularly speaks at conferences and organizations to help women build the careers they love while staying true to themselves. Coming up, how Fran pivoted from the corporate world to starting her own business, the importance of storytelling and energy. Fran shares her inspiration behind her guided workbook, Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, Fran's most memorable pitch, and her biggest investment mistake. And finally, how Fran values integrity and character when vetting founders. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Fran, we are so excited to have this conversation with you. I will share with our listeners, we first connected a couple of months ago through a mutual entrepreneurista connection of ours. Annie Evans from Dream Ventures connected us and we had a call and you shared with me all the incredible things that not only you've done in your career, but the new book that you were writing and have now released. And I just knew immediately we had to get you on the podcast to share your incredible story and journey because you are such an inspiration. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Fran. Oh my gosh. Thank you for, for having me. And Annie Evans is gold. I love her so much. She is the absolute best, an incredible connector as well. And she's a past guest of our uh, Entrepreneurista podcast as well. So for our listeners, definitely go back and listen to, to Annie's episode as well. She shares lots of fundraising tips. And I know you're probably going to be able to share some of that great advice too, but I would love to hear, Fran, if you could start with a little bit about your background and career, because you have had such an incredible career, not only in the corporate world, but also in the startup world and your an investor, an advisor, an author, you essentially have done it and do it all. But how did your career start? Can you walk us through a bit about your background? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I actually was exposed to business at a really young age because my, both of my parents um, were small business owners. So my dad was a landscaper. My mother was a tailor. And I literally was like doing their invoicing when I was in first grade. And, you know, I was their translator because they're Italian immigrants. And so I spent a lot of time with both of them actually on their businesses. 
um, which I think, you know, really led to my interest in entrepreneurship um, and shaped my career, actually, like in a, in a really big way. Um, I've had a very varied career. We spend the whole time talking about it. So I'm just going to give it to you like in a minute. But, you know, I spent many, many years in corporate, everything from Coca-Cola to AOL back in the day to Time Inc., where I was the president of digital. And I was really focused on, you know, building out the digital products, mostly for People Magazine and Style Entertainment Weekly. And then I actually left corporate about eight years ago um, and transitioned into startup investing full-time, which I just love. That's what I've been doing for, for the last eight years. And we can talk a little bit more later, maybe about that transition and, you know, why I made it. And being a startup investor also really gave me the bandwidth to write these books. I've written two books, not something that I think I could have done if I was still in corporate. So like, if you look at what I'm doing today, you know, I'm very involved in the startup ecosystem as an investor, as an advisor. And I'm also like squarely in the kind of career advice, like thought leadership, you know, space between my books and my speaking. So yeah, it's it's been a very varied career. And I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, the average person pivots like four or five times they pivot in their career over the course of their, their, their lifetime. So I always say to college students, like, don't worry, you know, whatever your first job is, that's just chapter one. Totally. What made you leave the corporate world? Yeah. So I had been at Time Inc. for eight years. And what I realized was that the bigger my job got, the less interesting it got. You know, it, it almost became like more administrative, budgeting, cost cutting, putting decks together for the board. And I was just starting to feel like a little bit of, of an itch. And what I realized was that the, the part of my job that I loved the most was meeting with founders, you know, meeting with the founders of Pop Sugar, meeting with the founders of Rent the Runway before they launched, because we were always looking at how can we partner right? We had this content and, and these brands, but technology wasn't a core asset of ours. So I spent a lot of my time meeting with founders and I loved it. So I thought, you know, what if I just like start investing on the side, you know, while I was still at Time Inc., um, I started investing and advising and I loved it. I just really, really loved it. And I did that for a couple of years. And then my kids were really young and I realized, gosh, you know, like if I just kind of did this full time, it would give me so much more time to be with my family, which is something that I really wanted. So I feel like it was such a blessing that I was able to kind of tap into what was working for me in my current role, right? Which was the startup, like meeting with the startups and, and thinking like, okay, what can I do with this? Like, how can I do more with this? And then it ended up being my next chapter. How did you figure out from those early meetings with a lot of founders and starting to, you know, come together with collaborations and partnerships, how did it happen that you started investing in them? Did you have a background in investing? Was, you know, did someone give you the idea like, oh, you should do this? Like, what was that process like? Yep. Someone gave me the idea. Um, it was actually Soraya Darby, who yeah. is now a venture capitalist herself. Um, but when I met her, she was in her 20s. She had left the New York Times, right? She was the first social media person at the New York Times. She left the New York Times and she was a founder. She was working on this app called Food Spotting. And a mutual friend of ours, Greg Clayman, who was an executive at Viacom, asked me to meet with her. She was one of his mentees. 
And I'll never forget, I met her outside of the Time Life building in Manhattan. We were at a Le Pan Quotidien and we were sitting having coffee. And she's the one that said to me, she said, you know, Fran, I have so many female friends in New York who are looking to launch businesses, but when they look up, they don't see any female investors or advisors. And she said, you could be that person because you're such a natural mentor and you're a businesswoman. And so she really like planted the seed. Honestly, I hadn't really thought about it um, until I met with her that day. So I, I had no investing experience at all. I had you know, experience being an executive. I had experience running all aspects of a business. I had experience evaluating startup businesses for potential acquisition, right? Because the timing, we were always looking at what companies could we buy. So I had, I had that experience and I had just sort of like, you know, the relationships that I had built, right? It's all about relationships at the end of the day. I, I built relationships with founders and I also built relationships with VCs because we were in acquiring mode. So a lot of VCs would bring us their, their companies to look at. So I think that also like having that network really facilitated the, the transition. We also had Soraya on the podcast. We're big fans of hers. What a small world. Seeing like what she, right? Like now with Trail Mix Ventures. Yeah, yeah. She's very, very impressive. Incredible. How do you decide what businesses to invest in? You know, so much of it is, first of all, like if I think about over the last eight or 10 years that I've been investing now, I, I, I lose track of time. You know, my thesis has changed over time, right? Like in the beginning, I was really focused on digital media because that was my world. And I just felt like I could bring so much expertise. And I did that for a few years. Then I was really interested in like in real life experiences, like the wing. I was one of the first investors in the wing Um, and 54 below, which is a cabaret below the old studio 54. And then coming out of COVID, I've been so focused on collective well-being and like consumer products that are just good for us. You know, they make us feel better. There's a wellness piece to it. So I do feel like I'm always kind of looking at like what's going on in our world, what's going on in our culture and in our society, you know, where are people's heads at? What what do they care about? And that's sort of like at a macro level. And then in terms of specific businesses, you know, the founder really matters. Like I really pay attention to how do I feel when I leave that pitch meeting? Like, because it's a long relationship, right? Like if they're successful, it's usually what, seven years, seven to nine years before they, they have a liquidation event. So I know I'm going to be in it with them for a while. So I want to make sure that like the energy works and that we click and that they're uniquely positioned to launch the product into the world. I have to tell you, like one of the most important things in pitching, I find is storytelling. You know, as human beings, like we love stories. So I think the most successful pitches are usually very compelling stories that paint a picture of, you know, big pain point, big market, and the founder has some kind of unique positioning or competitive advantage, you know, to solve the pain point. So it's, it's really, it's, it's all of it. Any advice that you can share when pitching VCs or angels over Zoom right now? Because obviously the world has changed with pitching now over the past two years. No longer are many of these meetings in person. And you really have to be able to build that relationship and storytell 
over a conversation like this. So what have you seen makes a really great pitch and maybe some things that you've seen don't work well? Yeah, I think it's more important than ever that you have that elevator pitch because you're on screen with the other person. You know, if you could spend just like a few minutes doing your pitch, again, telling your story, you know, really captivating the person, the investor that, that you're that you're pitching. I do think that that's really important. Um, and also asking them, like, would you like to go through the deck? Like, I think it's actually a really good way to start is, you know, would you like me to take you through the deck or would you rather have um, a conversation? And then when you have questions, specific questions, we can dive into the deck because every investor is different, you know? So just even asking that question, I think is really thoughtful. And I think showing your excitement energy, like, right. It's, it's hard to get that energy across, but like, so, so in a way you kind of have to like bring even more energy than you normally would. Do you have a most memorable pitch of a company that you, you've invested in? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. I can tell you that Allison Trowbridge, who is the, the CEO and founder of a, of a company called Copper, it's an app that connects authors and readers, and it's just in beta right now. Um, I remember meeting her in, in New York. It was at one of like the co-working spaces. She's also an author. I'm an author. And she just, the, the way that she was pitching me this product, she went like right to like the emotional part, you know? And she really connected with me as an author in terms of talking about like, how hard it is, especially for nonfiction authors to market their books, like so much pressure is put on the author, you know? And so she, you know, she experienced that as a fellow author. She assumed that I probably experienced that as well. So she started like right with that pain point, you know, like I remember her asking me like about my first book and what, what was that like? What was that process like? You know? So she, she hooked me like right away. So that was a very memorable one. And now like I'm an investor and I'm actually on, on her board as well. Wait, now I want to know all about Copper. So tell so us about it. It's launching in a couple of weeks. It's um, so, you know, like if you think about like what Instagram did for photographers or TikTok did for dancers, she's looking for Copper to do that same thing for authors, really to make the author the star. And it's a way for authors and readers to connect in really meaningful ways and also like, think about it as an author. I don't have data from Amazon. I have no idea who buys my book, right? So it's it's a way to have, to create a direct relationship with your fans, with your readers. And then you can ask them questions. You can show them like, hey, I have three different cover treatments. You know, which one do you like the best? Like you could do polls. There's like a live feature where, you know, you can talk to them live. So it's just like really an incredible way for authors to connect with their readers and you know their, their fans. Um, so I'm super excited. And it's launching next week or the week after. So it'll be by the time this launches, I think it's like May 5th that it's launching. Oh my goodness. The yeah. day after our 10 year social light anniversary and one year entrepreneurista league anniversary, Amazing. it'll be a big party. So Amazing. Well, everyone check out Copper. We will share it out on entrepreneurs on our social. So definitely Thank keep it you. posted. And I'm assuming your book is on there, right? You and your book are on the platform. Yes, definitely. Both books. Yeah. We will definitely share it everywhere. Back to pitching. Can you tell us any big no-nos? So when emailing an investor or follow-up, like what are the things that 
we should not be doing? Yeah. Well, look, I, I think it's really important when you're emailing an investor to personalize the note to really explain why you feel that I would be a good investor and a good partner for you, as opposed to just sending out like the standard. I know we all have the template, right? We all have the template, which is great, but personalizing it, showing that you actually did the research, that you know, like what my interests are, you know, and even like what stage I invest in, you know, like when I, when I get founders that reach out about like series A or series B, like they clearly haven't done their research because I'm an angel investor, right? I come in at, in, in the first round. So do the research, personalize the email. I mean, obviously, if you can get a warm introduction, right, that just makes such a difference. Um, it really does. And then the other thing I would say is follow-up is really important. If there's follow-up, like get on it, do it quickly. Don't worry about like perfecting the deck or perfecting whatever, like just, you know, if there are follow-ups, get to it quickly because you don't want to lose momentum. Can you share your most successful investment to date? And also if you're open to sharing your biggest investment mistake. Yeah. So my, my most successful investment to date was in a company called Hello Giggles, mm -hmm. which I don't know if you guys remember it. I mean, it's still around actually. It, is that Zoe Deschanel? Zoe Deschanel. And this is so random. Like I had nothing to do with this, but do you know who acquired Hello Giggles? Time Inc., my old company, you know? And actually that's why I, I invested in Hello Giggles because coming from Time Inc., I knew that what they were doing at Hello Giggles in terms of really building out the millennial audience was going to be really attractive to a legacy publisher because these legacy publishers, you know, they're, they're aging, like a, a lot of their, um, their magazines and their digital properties, right? So they're always looking for millennial audiences. So that one, that one was, was really successful. And gosh, in terms of what my biggest failure, I've had a bunch, I, I don't, here's what I'll share with you because I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but there was one company that I invested in that when I met with the founder, I remember feeling like something was off. Like it just didn't feel right to me in my gut, but she had so many incredible investors already on board, like almost to the point where I was like starstruck, you know, by the investors that she had on board. And I placed more value on those investors being on board than I placed on my own gut feeling and intuition. And there ended up being some pretty major problems with that investment. It, you know, it ended up failing and it was just a really big learning for me. You know, it's like, this is how we learn, right? Like we, we go through these experiences and now more than ever, I mean, you know, character, integrity. I do a lot of back channeling before I invest if I don't have a personal relationship with the founder, you know, like I, I want to understand because it's really easy to look at a resume and to look at what the person has accomplished, but I want to understand how they operate. How do they work with other people? You know, are they collaborative? Like what's their decision-making style? And I can get some of that out of talking with them, but you can get so much more when you talk to people who've worked with them in the past. And that, that mistake, that failure that I shared with you, that was very early on in my investing journey. So it's really informed 
you know, the way that I approach investments now. Brian, you have your second book out right now, Embrace the Work, Love Your Career. I would love to hear more about this book. What is it about and what inspired you to want to write another book? So the inspiration really came to me just about a year ago, actually. This this book came together so quickly. You know, usually it's years. Like my first book took years to put that out into the world. But um, it was it was about a year ago. It was February. And I, I remember reading all of the news about like the millions of women that are leaving the workforce and, you know, the millions more that are questioning their, their career purpose and their path. And then I was just seeing in my own network, I was seeing like friends and family and colleagues reaching out to me, just like really struggling and trying to figure out like, what do they want to do? Like, where do they want to be focusing their time? And so I really wanted to do something. I wanted to do something. And I'm like, you know what, this would be like a really great book because I, I, I was sitting on all this content from all the mentoring sessions that I've done and all the talks that I've done where I have these exercises and I have writing prompts and tools and techniques and scripts. And I thought like, what if I create, instead of a traditional career advice, like narrative book, which my first book was, what if I created a guided workbook? Because it would feel like more, it's more like a book that you do than a book that you read. And I wanted to create something that was lighter, a little bit more joyful because we're all just carrying so much right now, right? There's so much weight on all of us. So I really love that I went this route with this book. And I think it's just, you know, the the whole goal is to help you find joy in the work that you do and, and in your career. So sometimes I call it a workbook and sometimes I call it a playbook but it's, it's really both. I love it. I'm holding it in my hand right now. So for everyone who's listening, first of all, it's a beautiful, it's a gorgeous book and you, it is beautifully designed. Were you involved in this design process? I love it. Let me tell you the illustrator who I just met in person in San Francisco for the first time I met her, um, Regina Shlovsky, she did such a beautiful job. Um, such a beautiful job. I was very much involved in the design in terms of like the direction, but I think she nailed it. And I have to tell you, the des- the design took longer than the writing. I wrote the book in six weeks, and then it took us four months to actually design the book because we really had to think about user interface too. You know, like I, I remember even like testing different like paper weights and different, you know, with different pens because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't like bleeding through or so the UI you know, which that's my background, digital products. I'm like, we need to think about UI with this book. But no, I really love the way it turned out. There's there's meditations and coloring breaks after each section, just reminding you to pause and reflect. I kind of say like, the analogy that I use is, you know, when you do a food cleanse and like you set aside like the five days to do the food cleanse, right? This is like a career cleanse. You know, it's six sections if you spend a couple of hours each day, you know, on a different section for six days, it's kind of just like an opportunity to, to do a little bit of a reset and check in and say like, okay, what am I loving about my career? What am I not loving? Like what's, what's energizing me? What's not energizing me? You know, are there skills that I want to level up on? You know, how do I feel about my network? Like, do I, do I want to expand it in different ways? So it's just really, I think, a great opportunity to do that reflective work, you know, do do a little bit of of analysis of your own career. 
You were able to write this book so quickly. What was that process like? Did you just lock yourself in a room and not come out for a few weeks? (laughs) For six weeks. (laughs) It's so funny. Literally, this is what I had to do. I had to get up at five or 5.30, like, and basically give myself two hours before the kids get up. Because once the kids get up, it's like, you know, all hell breaks loose. So like, and that it's like two hours of getting them ready for school. And so I was very disciplined. Like I had to go to bed earlier. I cut out um, like Netflix binging. Cause I just, I had to be in bed by 10, you know? So I got my seven hours of sleep. So that was really how I did it. And then like, once like they went off to school, I could go back to it for like an hour or two, but really my best writing was first thing in the morning, right? Because that's when you're the freshest, like you haven't read emails, you haven't read text messages, you haven't put garbage basically, you know, into your brain and clutter. So that, that was my process. And that's really the process that I use whenever I'm like, even if I'm working on an op-ed, you know, if I'm, I'm working on an article, it's like first thing in the morning before the kids get up. That's the best time for me block that time off on the calendar. Yeah. I always say if I don't schedule it, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. So same. Totally. I totally agree with that. I have not yet read the book and I'm definitely looking forward to, but is it about embracing and finding joy in what you're currently doing? Or is it about teaching people to maybe the current job that you have isn't the right one for you and you need to find something else? It's such a great question. And it's, it's really it could be either or because the idea is that you're, you're doing the work. And that's why I called it embrace the work. Like in order to love your career, it's important to do the work. This book is one example of the type of work that you would do, right? Like it's these exercises is asking yourself questions. Like one of the exercises in the book is to look at your calendar for the last couple of months and pick out the meetings or events or experiences that put a smile on your face. I have to interrupt. I have it open. The smile file. Smile file, right? Like what puts a smile on your face? And what was it about that experience that was so fulfilling? Was it the type of problem you were solving? Was it the people you were working with? Was it the skills that you were using? Like by doing this exercise, you can really figure out like what parts of your current job do you enjoy? And is there a way for you to do more of that? And then there are exercises around like, what's the work that you dread? You know, like those Sunday scaries, like, what are you thinking about? Like what, what worries you? So it's just, it's getting really clear about what's working for you and what isn't. And look, I think if you could figure out a way to make your current work situation work for you, that's great. There's, there are a lot of benefits to that. But if you realize that, wow, there's just like very little that I enjoy about my current role, like it might be time. It might be time to, you know, start thinking about what that next chapter is. And the book helps you with that as well. What are some essential tips for really embracing the work that you love and that you're doing right now? Yeah, I think, I think a a really big part of it is doing this exercise of think of figuring out like, what is it that you love? Like I had a woman who just told me the other day, she realized that she really enjoys copy editing and she's decided that like, she wants to do more of that. So like she told her manager and she told her team members if they ever have something 
you know, if they have something that needs copy editing, she would love to do that. Like she would love to take on more of that because it's just something that really brings her joy. So like the first step is just figuring out what is it that you do like to do? Like for me, when I was at time and I realized that I loved the startup part of my job before I decided to leave, I actually launched an innovation lab at Time Inc. And I was able to shift a lot of my time over to that innovation lab and delegate some of the other stuff that I was doing to my team. And by the way, they were excited to take that stuff on because it was a stretch for them. For me, it wasn't energizing for them. You know, they they enjoyed a lot of what I was delegating. But so like creating that innovation lab allowed me to stay at the company for two more years, Right. And then I took that as far as it could go. And then that's when I decided, all right, now I'm going to go off and do my, my own thing. So it's like really tuning into what's working for you. And also like the people that you're working with, you know, like, do you enjoy working with them? That's a really big part of it. Like even your manager, you know, I always say like, sometimes like people leave their manager, not their job. So what's your relationship like with your, with your manager? And this obviously is for, for women who work in a more corporate environment, Right. Um, but if it's not working for you, then you really have to think about that. Like, is there a different part of the company that you might want to work in? Or, you know, do you, do you move into a different industry? Do you move to a different company? Do you go off and do your own thing? There's so many different options and opportunities. I know this isn't your first book. This is your second book, correct? Yes. I'm very curious about your first book, The Myth of the Nice Girl, Achieving a Career You Love Without Becoming a Person That You Hate. What inspired you to write that book? And that's another one I'm adding to my to-do list. Yes. Oh, good, 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 good. Um, so that really came from you know all of the women that I've mentored over the years who had such a hard time reconciling that I was nice and I was also successful. Because there's this myth, right? That if you're too nice, you're not going to get ahead at work. You're not going to get the corner office. So it's always been my leadership style to be both nice and strong. And I don't think that you you have to choose between the two. Um, and that's really what that book is, is all about. Like it debunks the myth of nice girls don't get the corner office. And it's, you know, it's really resonated. Audible chose it as the top business book of 2018, which was so incredible. Like I... I can't tell you like how much that accolade means to me because you you guys know how many business books come out every year. And then, you know, it's been translated into six languages. So I hear from women, you know, really around the world that reach out to me through social media, including in the Ukraine, um, because that's one of the languages that it was translated into. It's just so heartwarming, you know, like when I hear from these women and they tell me how it's changed their lives. I mean, they, they will write me like long, like two to three paragraph notes, you know, on, on Instagram and on LinkedIn and through, and through my website, because obviously like, look, it's something that women struggle with this idea of like, if I'm too nice, I'm going to be thought of as a pushover. If I'm too strong, I'm going to be thought of as a bitch. So, you know, how do I balance that? So that, that was, that was the first book, which I I really enjoyed working on. I, I, to this day, like, I really, I love that book. How do you balance both? What are some of the tips? I was just about to ask that. Give us a little preview and then everyone go buy this book. (laughs) Uh, Well, look, I think it's like, if I think about the way that I lead, you know, I, I care about my team and they know how much I care about them, but I also have really high expectations of them, you know? So it's like, I'm really clear with them on what success looks like. 
um, how we're going to get there and what, what my expectations are, what I, what I expect. And those expectations are high, but they know that I, you know, I can do that without being a jerk. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I can do that and still be kind when I'm speaking to them and when I'm, you know, motivating them, you know, even like when I think about giving tough feedback, you know, like I will always start with something positive by saying like, look, I'm your biggest fan. I want to see you be successful because if you start the conversation by saying something negative, it's going to come across as threatening and they're going to shut down. They're going to go into fight, flight, freeze. So like, I'm very aware of like how people, how human beings process information that you're giving them. So, you know, when you think about that, when you think about like starting a really difficult conversation, if you start from a place of, I really care about you and I want to see you be successful, they're going to be more likely to hear what you're saying to them. That message is going to land when you do give them the direct feedback, right? So I think that that's, that's a big part of it. It's kind of like you're doing both side by side. That's such great advice. Thank you for sharing that, Fran. You have had such an incredibly successful career. Can you share what you're most proud of? As an entrepreneur, you know, I'm I'm so proud of publishing my first book because I just feel like I picture, you know, myself as a child and I just loved reading so much. And the thought of being an author, like it just seemed so unattainable. So I think it, it was just, it's something that I'm so proud of look, it's not easy getting a book deal, you know, and and that, that book was with a big traditional publishers with Houghton Mifflin. So I'm really proud of that as a kind of corporate businesswoman, I would say my biggest success was people.com, you know, because my team really launched that website. It ended up being the largest um, media website in the world. Um, and one of the most profitable businesses at the company. So we really took that website from like a subscription website for the magazine to a standalone business that was really, really popular and, and, and successful. So I would, I say those two things. All right, Fran, this is a fun segment we love to do. We're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. What are you currently reading? I just finished Demi Moore's autobiography, which is amazing on Audible. Sorry. See, I can't stop talking. That's the, the problem. You're good. Um, <laughs> okay. Done. I was going to tell you all about it. But How would your friends describe you? I think they would say that I'm generous, loving, and I'm the one that gets things done. Where is your happy place? our little ski condo up in Vermont. What is your favorite app on your phone? Actually, right now, I would say it's it's Wordle because it's something that I can do with my kids and we, we have a lot of fun with it. All right, very important question. Sweet or salty? Sweet, all the way. And finally, what is your hidden talent? <laughs> I don't think you've ever heard this one before. I am really good at hula hooping. Wow. We have not heard that one. Like when I was younger, like I would always win. Like who could like keep the hula hoop up? How long can you hula hoop for? Oh my gosh. It was like an hour or something when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get like terrible cramps? (laughs) If I tried to do it now, (laughs) I would probably break my back. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's so funny. <laughs> Fran, okay, back to our regular questions now. So not one word answers. Uh, what does a typical day look like for you now? I know you said you have two little ones or how old are your kids now? They're 10 and 11 and a half. So elementary school and middle school, two boys. What does your day look like? Tell, walk us through a typical day for Fran. Yeah. You know, typical day is I'm, I like to wake up about 20 minutes before they're up just to get myself together. And then it is really like, it's a couple of hours where I'm, because the middle school, elementary school thing, they're on different like schedules. So it's a good, like two hours in the morning to just, you know, get them breakfast, lunch, backpacks, get them all ready to go. And then I, I start my work day, you know, and, and for the most part, I'm still working from home. Um, I live outside of, of New York City. I do go in now maybe two or three days a month, you know, just to like connect with people, whether it's like founders, you know, in, in my portfolio companies or other investors or authors. So I have started doing that again. And, you know, right now I'm on book tour. So I, I just got back from San Francisco. I was there for a few days you know, I'm really trying hard to get my work done during the school day, like to really get most of that done, because then when they're home, you know, it's a lot of like the after school activities and, and the homework. Um, but I've just been so busy with this book tour. I'm not quite there yet, but that's my goal. How long are you doing the book tour for? So it started at the end of March and I it's, you know, I, I'll probably go through, like, I have events scheduled through the end of June, actually. But not so crazy, right? It's it's not so crazy. Like March was very, very busy. It was Women's History Month. I think I had 25 talks in March. I mean, most of them were virtual, but that was a lot. I mean, typically I'll do like two or three a month. So between the book launch and Women's History Month, it was extremely busy. So I feel like April, a little less busy, you know, May will be a little bit less. Um, so I'm kind of weaning off. And then by the summer, like I'm really just hoping that um, I can have a lot of chill time. How do you take time to unwind and relax or do things for yourself? Are there things you love to do? I love to read. I love to read. I was actually working on opening a bookstore with a really good friend of mine um, before COVID hit. I mean, literally we had the space, we had the planogram done, like where all the different books were going to go. I mean, we were really pretty far along. Um, and then when, when COVID hit, we decided to press pause on that. Um, so I, I launched an, a bookstagram called France Bookshelf. I guess, gosh, it's been about a year and a half now. And that's sort of my creative outlet. And, you know, so I love to read and then write about the books that I read on Instagram. I, I'm a voracious reader. I read 70 books last year. Wow. Yeah. So fiction, nonfiction. I love that. I love just like sitting with a glass of wine on my back porch um, which is screened in, which is really nice and reading. Um, and then I also love like my girlfriend time, just like going out to dinner or going for a walk. Those are all ways that I think just help me relax. Cause you have a favorite place to go to. Like if you're going out to dinner with your girlfriends. Yeah. I love the next town over. So I'm in Bedford and the next town over is Mount Kisco. And there's a great restaurant um, called Village Social that I love. And there's another one, Exit 4. And I actually grew up in Mount Kisco. So I have like a lot of extended family that own, like both of those restaurants are owned by extended family members. Um, so it's so nice to support them, you know, and to support the community, which is really great. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you just live your life by? Yeah, I actually was just talking with somebody about this the other day. It's if you don't like it, 
change it. You know, I feel like it's just really important. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine if, you know, when people complain about things, but then they don't want to do anything about it. You know, it's like if something's bothering you, like get creative, come up with some ideas to, to fix it. Right. I'm the same. Get some people together, get some people together, figure, figure it out. Take action, make it happen. Make it happen. Always say everything is figure outable. Like there's a problem, find a solution. Yeah. (laughs) We're on the same page. (laughs) Do you believe in work-life balance? And if yes, do you have any tips for our audience? You know, it's, I, this is such a hard one for me because like, I feel like there are days where I do the work thing really well. And then there are other days where I do the family thing really well. I think it's hard for me, like within like a day sometimes to really feel like I'm balanced, you know? And I think that's okay. And like, there are some days where I really just have to take it 20 minutes at a time and just kind of say like, okay, what's the most pressing thing right now that I need to get to, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like what's like the one thing that I should just focus on for right now. I've been using my timer on my app a lot um, to just really like help me kind of just stay in the zone on that one thing for 20 minutes. And by the way, sometimes the most pressing thing is that one of my kids needs me, you know, and that's, that's where I'm going to spend my time and everything else just has to wait. But I, I do really try I try really hard to like do that time, like that chunking where like chunking similar, similar work together. So like, for example, like when I'm going through my inbox, I will look at, okay, let me go through all my investing stuff, all my investing emails, because like, that's like the zone that I'm in. Right. And then I'll go through like all the emails related to my book launch, you know, and then I'll go through all the emails related to like some fundraiser I'm running because the switching for me is really hard. I don't know about you guys, but it's right. Yes. Courtney and I, we talk about this all the time because we have multiple businesses and when there's every day, there's obviously a lot of big different things going on and trying to switch back and forth between different things is definitely hard on your brain. So doing the time blocking, like you said, and segmenting things out into what you're focused on is definitely really helpful. Yeah. And then I feel like you also lose time when you're switching, right? Because then it, it, you're gearing, you have to gear back up. <laughs> Did you ever read essential? I think it's called essentialism. Did you read no. that book? That's all no. about this topic focusing. Ooh. And then there's another book called the one thing I've heard that I haven't read, but we, got, we have two new books for your uh, list. Yeah, essentialism <laughs> was a book I read last year and I, I absolutely loved it. Ooh, good to know. I wrote it down. Thank you. Friend, I think we could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours, and we are going to do a follow-up event with our whole Entrepreneurista community very soon, where we'll get to share even more tips. Last question for you before we share with everyone where they can go find your new book. What does being an Entrepreneurista mean to you? To me, being an Entrepreneurista means that I get to choose the initiatives that I work on, and I get to choose the people that I work with. That's such a gift, right? To, to have that, that choice. So that, that's what it means to me. That is so wonderful and amazing. And Fran, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. All of these incredible tips that you've shared have been so useful and we will definitely be sharing them out on social so everyone can 
see them and put them to work. Where can everyone find you, Fran, follow you? And of course, buy your new book. Yeah. So Instagram, I'm at Fran underscore Hauser. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And my website is franhauser.com. And the book is really available everywhere books are sold. I love supporting independent bookstores. Um, It's also on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Thank you, Fran, for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.